You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We are about to break the surly bonds of gravity and punch the face of God. I wish I was a little Left bit Jab Productions present Edge of Sports bit, Radio, where sports and politics collide. And now your host, Dave Zarn. The Schmada Kid. Boom! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. I'm Dave Zarn, joined as always by a man who may have a concussion, he might not have a concussion. The independent doctors seem to disagree on the subject, but either way, all I know is that it means that our operation is doing just fine and we're winning off the air. His name is Dan Baker. DB, you Boston-minded son of a gun, do you get my Washington-themed jokes? I do, I, I do. And DB3 over here. Quite, it, 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 it is already an amazing season for the Redskins. They're already in a complete state of disarray. Yes, and I'm glad you said the name of the team so I can remind everybody out there that we don't say don't the say name that. of the team yep, on Edge of Sports. <laughs> yeah, I get to be morally superior. What a thrill. Dan, no, seriously, thanks so much for being here. Joined by the coach, Kevin Knight. How you doing, coach? My, my, my Muhammad Ali, quote of the week. Yes. Dave, you're a good guy, and you have a lot of style. But the way you pay, I won't be back for a while. That's pretty um, – I, yeah, I think that was Billy Crystal. No, that was Ali. Ali. Yeah, he, was, he was in blackface at the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, he did do blackface. That's On the right. Oscars. Yeah, well, no, he did it all the time, but he also – he most recently did it when hosting the Oscars. That's right, but he also – Billy – this is me, Mark Barry. How you doing, oh, me, Mark? There. Hey. He also <laughs> – I remember as a kid, and this is like when, when one is a child, I think particularly a white child, although I'm not exclusively a white child, and stuff happens on screen and you don't understand or register the implications of it. I'll never forget as a kid watching a Saturday Night Live sketch based on Kate and Allie. The, the sitcom about these two divorced moms, and it was called Kate and Ali, and it was about Catherine Hepburn living with Muhammad Ali, with Martin Short as Catherine. And, and it's true, like, Billy Crystal was in blackface as Ali. He, he's culturally sensitive. Oh, yes, he is. Yes. God, he's, he's just the worst. In I some thought you were going to start the story Billy about growing Crystal? up as a poor black child. I, I'm not a fan. No. Really? Although he did once say something that I think is very important, that, that I think politically, where he said that he once had a cousin with ten penises, his pants fit like a glove. I always thought that was a very important comment <laughs> Move on. on social mores. <laughs> hey, we got a hell of a show this week. We're talking Serena. We're talking the Chicago Bears because it matters, and we are hopefully going to have on the line Amy K. Nelson live from the Ninth Ward in New Orleans. Uh, we'll be back right after this. 
Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Joined by the coach, Kevin Nutt. How you doing, coach? Mommy. Me, Mark Barry. Do me, Mark? So good. And you know what? I'm doing so good, too, because we're recording this <laughs> show on a Saturday, which we never usually do. Weekend. But we're doing it because of the response we got when the show was off for a few weeks over the summer. And people are listening to the podcast like, like nobody's business. And it just said to me, you know what? You got to give the people what they want. We got to come in. The issue that I want to raise is the start of the U.S. Open. Serena Williams going for her first ever Grand Slam while she is in the midst of her second what's known as Serena Slam because she's holding all four titles at once for the second time in her career. She has the opportunity to tie Steffi Graf for the most Grand Slam titles in the Open era. Number one, you'll see on some lists, Margaret Court with 24. you got to ignore that. That's BS. Like Something like 9 or 10 of Margaret Court's 24 Grand Slams are Australian Opens back when nobody played the Australian Open. Hmm. Nobody. It's such a ridiculous thing that Margaret Court's even on the top of that list. Like the None of the great players played the Australian Open. It just wasn't a thing you did. It wasn't part of the Grand Slam circuit. And yet there she is at 24. Seriously, it would I mean, what would be a similarity? It would be like if you counted like Michael Jordan's games playing pickup in his backyard and put it on his all-time scoring total. Whoa, 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 whoa. Was it was it recognized as a major? Uh as a nothing was really recognized as a major before the open era. The open era is what defined things like the Grand Slam and majors and things of that nature. I mean I don't know. Like maybe a bet you're like maybe a better comparison is this a more fair comparison to Margaret Court is that Jack, you know, famously uh Jack Nicholas has the record for most majors in golf at right. 18. Right. Uh came in second 19 times, right. which is to me even a crazier number. Yeah. And Nicholas always said like and he was saying this kind of like churlish when it looked like Tiger Woods was just going to truck his record like he was Bo Jackson going through Brian Bosworth <laughs> that that Jack Nicholas, you know, feeling a little bit, you know, like like said, if I had known that people would have going were going to count majors to such a degree to determine who the greatest was, I would have taken majors more seriously. The mm-hmm. way Tiger you know, obviously, throughout Tiger's heyday, was taking the majors like so right. seriously, and right. everything's about preparing for the British. Right. Everything's yeah. about preparing. Like it is true that they didn't do that back then. You just played the tournaments. Yeah. But anyway, get back on Serena because yeah, because uh, uh, the Serena thing is so remarkable to me because not only is she going for all of these incredible marks, not only has the women's U.S. Open sold out sold before out. the yep. men's. Yep. Yep. Which is just yep. yet another sign that 2015 is an absolutely pivotal year for women in sports. We're going to look back on this year as such an incredible pivot. I mean, she's still also doing all of this in the context of a tennis world where she does not even come close to the endorsement dollars that Maria Sharapova yeah. gets. Nike even just put out – I mean, this is unbelievable to me. Like, there's a part of – I think people sometimes think about this. And they say to themselves, well, it's a European sport. Maria Sharapova ha- is a tall, thin blonde, and all these European companies are giving her all this. It's not Europe. Like People th- yeah. act like it's Europe. It's yeah. not Europe. Like Nike just put out this ad for the U.S. Open, and Serena's like standing in the back, in the back of the ad with all of their people. 
All like, the what people? Did, all of the Nike <laughs> tennis people. Is that huh? And she's in the back. In the back. <laughs> I mean, it's it's unbelievable to me, like how much the gap between this is men and women. Are, yes. Men and women. Okay. Because I can already say she can probably take all the women's titles combined and wouldn't do one total up to hers. It, it, I uh, believe that, that right Nike now <laughs> it's equal. Oh, is that right? It's equal. Okay. Like she has as many Grand Slams as every single woman on the tour. Right. Okay. So, combined. Yeah. I can you put it back? I'm surprised yes. she even settled for that. But anyway, and, go ahead. And I know I've already made the argument on this show and time and time again that I think she, Serena Williams is more than just the greatest women's tennis player and even more than the greatest women's tennis player ever, and even more than the greatest women athlete of the last century, which is what John McEnroe said. Like, I think she is in, like, the class. And when I say the class, I'm talking Wilt, Jim Brown, this level, Mm -hmm. Carl Lewis in 84. You know what I'm saying? I think she's in the class of people. Barry Bonds, during his last few years, leave the chemical enhancement out of it. But, like, how, the idea of somebody who looks like they're playing a different sport. Mm-hmm. Maybe even Madison Baumgartner these latest days as he's, like, hitting – what's he hitting, like, 450 this month? Like, something – like, Madison Baumgartner is not only throwing shutouts. He's, like, hitting home runs. He's, he's pinch hitting for the team. He's yeah. pinch hitting. Yeah. And it's like, it's like there, there are these moments in history – where I'll put Jordan in the 93 finals against the the Suns when he averaged 41 a game in those finals. There are these moments in history where it really does look like the person is playing a different sport than everybody else. I'm trying to think of the women's basketball player who I would most put in that category. I wouldn't put Tarasi because with all her genius, she's, she's working for it. Maya Moore you know, works for it. But like the sort of – like Della Donna this summer has been off the chain – but she still has to work for it, triple team. Maybe you'd have to go back to Cheryl Miller. Like this idea where you see somebody and it looks like they're playing a different sport. Cheryl Swoops. But go ahead. Yes, yeah. Cheryl Swoops. Yeah. Swoops at, well, at Texas Tech, Cheryl Swoops. I didn't even pros. You think so? Yeah, yeah she, she was never, a tough customer. I know, but I never and, thought um, she hit that. Uh, Forty-seven point and a host claw, probably maybe. But anyway, yeah. But I, yeah. You see where I'm coming? No, yeah, I, I got, I got you what you're saying. Yeah, Usain Bolt comes to mind too. Oh, my God. That's actually the great example. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, as I've said on this show, and I will say again, the way in which Serena Williams has also done this in the context of a sport that in the 21st century still is a disrespectful space for people of color in general, black people in particular. There's actually this amazing article that I want to recommend to folks that was in the New York Times that I read this morning. And Sharapova, by the way, has doubled the endorsements of Serena Williams, double. And this quote that was said by Sarah Jane Glynn from the Center for American Progress is what she said. She said, if being the best in the world doesn't make you immune to racism and sexism, I'm not sure what hope the rest of us have to be able to lean in far enough to overcome it. And let me explain that for those who are saying she's making a direct reference, Sarah Jane Glynn to the, to me, putrid book uh, by uh, Sheryl Sandberg Sandberg called Lean In. And Sheryl Sandberg is the the head of uh, Facebook. Facebook, And and her her mentor was Larry Summers, one of the most execrable people in the history of (laughs) economics, the person who said Africa was underpolluted. Women can't do math. Yeah, and women can't do math. Mm. And uh, the person who who pushed Cornell West out of Princeton. And Mm. 
the thing that um, oh, I mean, of Harvard, I'm sorry, I pushed Cornell West out of Harvard, um, and the thing that Sheryl Sandberg ha- argues is this idea that women in a lot of respects have themselves to blame for the sexism that exists in corporate America and at the highest levels of society, and it's that women are too deferential. They're too willing to not put their hand up in the meeting, and it's a lot of, you know, to me that there's a scary underside to the Sheryl Sandberg argument where if you wanted to apply that to issues like sexual violence, where this idea that you're putting the weight of change on the people who are affected by oppression instead of putting it on the society Mm -hmm. to change. Mm -hmm. And that's very problematic because it means that nobody has to take accountability for any of their own behavior. And obviously, of course, the class issue cannot be denied where you have a lot more opportunity to, quote unquote, lean in if you're making tens of millions of dollars a month at Facebook. And like I've read parts of the book and and things like like she talks about like fighting sexism is things like her making sure that she has the best parking spot because she has the best job. That's not the concern of the mass of women in this world, you know, is how do I get the best parking spot? It's how do I keep my job if my boss hits on me? Mm-hmm. And how do I negotiate that? It's like, I mean, so, so, and so Serena, to me, she is clearly, and this is why I like that Sarah Jane Glenn quote so much, is like, like Serena is still in this incredibly unfriendly space. Much more unfriendly than Ali, I would argue, in the 60s in boxing. Really? I'll explain that after the break. You don't think I can explain that? We'll be back after this. Don't move. Dave Zirin will be right back with more Edge of Sports Radio. You're listening to Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Dan likes this song, and now I hear Mark likes this song, and I don't even know what the song is. What's the song? It's Chocolate by 1975. Oh, wow. 1975 by the band Chocolate. Okay. I don't know anything. Okay. I want to go to me, Mark Barry, to talk about the Chicago Bears. uh, But before I do, this is the thing about Muhammad Ali. I can describe this very, very, very quickly. Because the only thing I'm talking about is which space is more hospitable to one or the other. And I would argue that the boxing world in the 1960s was more hospitable to Muhammad Ali than the tennis world of Serena today. Even with all the incredible slings and arrows thrown at Ali in the boxing world in the 60s. Uh, First, I'll start by reading you this. Check this out. Uh, Currently, there are 18 million tennis players uh, in the United States. Tennis Industry Association. That's national. That's in the United States. 18 million today. That's down from 34 million in 1974, by the way. Mm. And if you think about how the population's gotten Mm -hmm. bigger, that's a pretty ugly trend line. Mm -hmm. Only 3.5 million are black or Hispanic. Now, check out the most famous uh, black players in the last 20 years or 30 years or 40 years. Wow. Listen to this. Venus and Serena, most famously, where did they learn the game? the public courts of Compton, Compton, California. James Blake, where did he learn the game? At the Harlem Junior Tennis and Education Center. Zena Garrison and Lori McNeil, Houston's McGregor yep, Park. Houston. Arthur Hash, segregated courts in Richmond, North, Virginia. North, 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 Althea Richmond. Gibson, going back even further than the early 70s, that was also, she was Harlem. Now, 
what does that all tell you? It says that there is no, as in no, country club pipeline. And the absence of a country club pipeline means that the best training, the best facilities, and also tennis, like you know, like all of sports, let's be honest here, we have the myth of sports as meritocracy, but so often in sports, unless you are a galactic talent, it's who you know. And coach, your whole book is about, mm-hmm. is, which I believe is called "Playing Time." Playing time yes, is sir. like that. That it's you know you you want to know who the right AAU coaches are. Mm-hmm. You want to know who has got make those connections. It's not always who's the best, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's rarely who's the best. Mm-hmm. And I would argue in tennis that's the case more than anywhere else. Now, you look at uh, Cassius Clay in the 1960s. It's like he joins the Nation of Islam. You know that was absolutely shocking at the time. Tells everybody his name is Muhammad Ali. Absolutely shocking at the time. But two things mitigated this. First of all, boxing had always been a place where you had people who were unusual cats, different kinds of cats, and not unusual for people to change their name in the world of boxing. And I would argue people are more sketched out now about a Muslim name than they were in the 1960s. Uh, um, and, oh, no, no. You mm. look at people like Sugar Ray Robinson. That was not his real name. I mean, this other, there, no, it's not just Sugar Ray. A lot of people, like changing your name was not something that unusual in boxing. Let me go on, but let me finish this. Second of all, and this is my main point, yeah. is that the, the because there was a movement in the 1960s it gave Ali a mass base of support wherever he went in a way that was very street level and very real. So Muhammad Ali, yeah, we all know about all the crap he got in the press. But then he would go into Philadelphia, into Harlem, and people would be like, it's the champ, it's the champ. And he'd be treated like a rock star on a street level. That's the first thing. Where is Serena going to go to be mobbed in, in such a way? Same place. No, no, no. Not necessarily. Because athletes are more nervous right now. Like there would have to be bodyguards cordoned off. You don't have that kind of direct face-to-face. And people asked Ali about that at the time and said to him, aren't you worried about, about you know, someone shooting you or something like that? And he was just like, he said, God watches over me. I don't, I'm not scared mm-hmm. of any bullet. Yep. And that's a famous Ali quote. Mm-hmm. And it's just like today... It's just it's just their layers like fame creates layers uh, between you and others. Now, you could say Serena gets a lot of love over social media, things of that nature. But the other thing, and this is the most important one, is Ali. What, what did the main thing people said to Ali before Vietnam? What people said to Ali was just shut up and box, mm-hmm. shut up and box, mm-hmm. shut up and box. People don't say to Serena and have never said to Serena, shut up and play. It's always just more been it would be so nice if you weren't here. Like, not wanting her to play at all. Right. And that create, that's, I think, a different dynamic. That The fact that she has thrived in the world of tennis, that's what I'm saying, is a higher degree of difficulty than a working-to-middle-class kid from Louisville who has an Olympic gold medal thri- with the most powerful people in Louisville backing him up thriving in the world of boxing okay, okay. in the 60s. I know, I know we want to get to Mark's thing, but i got to ask this. When Ali changed his name mm-hmm. and then followed it up with, I ain't got no issue, no no, 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 no gripe with, this, with the Viet Cong. Mm-hmm. That, that was next level. That was next level. Now, 
but especially the change in his name. But those two things right there just made him public enemy number one. Yeah. And especially the name change. Serena, you just ignore because it it's tennis. You just you just said numbers house dropped from thirty four million to eighteen. Yes. So you just ignore it. And it's women, so it was women's tennis, so you just ignore it. Right, but, and, that's, and but that's, that's part of my point, though, is that becomes then just another thing she has to overcome. Right, okay. The opposite of love is not hate but indifference. I think uh, the ability you, but, but, oh, to overcome that's, hate uh, might be easier than overcoming indifference. Right, but you're forgetting one big thing when you're going from what you said about hate. When Ali changed his name, that was fear. And he was the number one, he was, he was the heavyweight champion in the world. And that, and, and, and that was white fear. Yes. Uh, and... and 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 black, not just white, and, and, you know, and black ignorance because that's where Terrell and Sugar Ray wouldn't call him by his name. Not just and, that, and the that. civil rights leaders of the time wouldn't okay. call him by his name. So I just I, Roy Wilkins said he was worse than the, or he said he was yeah, as bad yes, as the white citizen yes, councils. Yes, sir. So I'm not. I, I don't. I don't so he had no love had a, anywhere. I yeah. I hear but what anyway, you're saying. I, just, I'm, I may be I may be overshooting on this point, but I my my main point is like I'm just looking at the environment of each person. That's just a sign of the times, though, Dave. I mean, you have to, I mean. But the sign yeah, of the good, times. Good conversation, good conversation. Yeah, good yeah, conversation. it's just like yeah. what, and also what Serena's done, it's not, it's not only about like, like I named most, some of those tennis players I named before, uh, great black tennis players, Lori McNeil, mm-hmm. Zena Garrison, uh, James Blake, that we're going to have people listen to the show who have no idea who those people right. are. They never won anything. Yeah. So. Well, Zena did. did. Yeah. 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 And Lori made the semifinals uh, to one of the majors. But the the thing about um, about Serena is that it's not only becoming number one. I mean, it's becoming the best ever. Right. And not only becoming right. the best ever, but doing it with, like, style and flair and social like, awareness. And oh, social there, awareness. She's the most active. Social that's why the parallels between her and Ali, just in sake of your argument, are so close together. And that's she's why speaking I wrote out more article. than anybody. Yeah. Her and LeBron about the most the black athletes that, are, that speak the most on, on social issues today. I love her. And the thing is, too, is that I think LeBron gets a lot more room to explore that space because of the amount of power he has in the NBA than Serena does in her space. And that's not dissimilar to the discussion about Ali. Like, I think doing it as a woman in a space that is historically hostile both to women and to black people. Mm -hmm. You cannot say the NBA is hostile to LeBron James. Everybody wants a piece of LeBron James. People are only now recognizing at age 33 how mighty Serena is in her power, her social capital, her sway. Look, we've got a couple more minutes in Mm. this segment. But, you know, you're right about – I'll tell you this, where I will backtrack on. Like, huge when he joined the Nation of Islam. I'm not in any way denigrating the courage that took and what took place. I don't even in any way, shape, or form want people to think I'm saying that that wasn't seismic and and, – and different than, say, Sugar Ray Robinson changing his name. But I was more just to say that in the history of boxing, it's not the country club. And so in history, <laughs> you had some crazy characters come right. through boxing right. over the years. Jack Johnson, for goodness right. sakes. Right. I mean, right. crazy people who are not willing. Crazy is not even the right word. But like people who are eccentric, people who are loud, mm. and people who are willing to flout convention. has always Had always been a part of boxing history. No one had ever really wielded that for political ends the way Ali, Ali did. did. Yep. But there had always been that element of professional wrestling showmanship in boxing mm, sure. that Muhammad Ali uh, wanted, first of all, to have and not be political, but then he was so strongly affected by the political movements 
of his times. Yes, Mark. Yeah, I, it, honestly, it's a really interesting discussion. And I get that between now, Serena and Muhammad Ali, it leads to a question. Is there anything that could ha- kind of be the, the same lightning rod that Ali was back in his time? Could LeBron James do something that would that would lead to be maybe the fear coming up or all that sort of thing and there would just be this yeah. huge it's like is that possible mm-hmm. now or is it is it mitigated by the money by the endorsements and that sort of thing could it happen uh, is there so That's what you're really, question, yeah right? what you're saying is there an <laughs> issue like i certainly think um if you, i mean it starts by looking at the issues today yeah. like i think if say you had a player step up and say something like we want amnesty for all undocumented workers in the united states and was going to step or stepped up and not only said black lives matter we need to stop this but but took the position of say my colleague Michael Denzel Smith at the nation who actually thinks we need to get to a point where there are no police in the United States that we actually don't have police and there are other positions too that say oh. police should literally should not have guns that's uh, another position that is out there that we should go strive for a gunless society top to bottom and see how that rolls. And that's a you know, society where you legalize the drug trade, you get the guns out of people's hands. Because it is true, you look at some countries that have similar poverty rates to the United States, and you see that they had like, well, like police officers fired their guns like eight times last year. And you look at this country and you're just like, what the hell is wrong with the mindset here? And obviously that relates to a lot of issues. And I'll say it once, I'll say it again. There is no contradiction to saying there are two that we have live in way too much of a gun violent culture, and we live in a culture that has a mental illness epidemic. Sure. Absolutely, they're both together because you see the NRA people try to counterpose oh, those, always. and even you see the anti-gun people try to be like, "Don't you talk about mental illness?" And it's like you can't not talk about both. We got to go to break. We'll be back after this. Dave Zirin will continue with Edge of Sports Radio after the break. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio on the phone lines, coming in live from New Orleans, from the Ninth Ward on this 10th anniversary weekend of the time where Hurricane Katrina caused the breaking of the levees is photojournalist writing, filing for the Daily Beast, Amy K. Nelson. Amy, how are you doing? Hey, Dave. I'm good. How are you doing? My God, what what a week it's been for you. Tell us real quick, where are you right now? What are you seeing? What's going on? Well, I'm, I'm currently uh, down in the Ninth Ward, as uh, most people are probably familiar with, a uh, historically black neighborhood here um, that was pretty much decimated by Katrina and we're right I'm right on the levee right now where the levees broke um 10 years ago and I'd say um I don't I don't know if you can hear behind me but there's there's actually a prayer ha- happening right now um and there's hundreds of people gathered here and they're gonna uh kick off uh what they're claiming or <laughs> saying is it's the world's largest second line parade it's essentially a, a an all-street parade of, of dancing and music and uh Traditionally, is, is uh, often um, uh, celebrated, if you will, um, when when people die, and mm. they celebrate the, the life of of the person who, who passed away with music and song and parade. It's very mm-hmm. New Orleans uh, tradition, and so they're going to have that here today, uh, and you know, mourn uh, obviously, which has been a little bit overlooked, 
um, but also, uh, I guess, celebrate, too, in, in the way that New Orleans does. Do you expect to see uh, big names, politicians, dignitaries out at this today? Like, how is this coming together? So far, and everything I've seen published and promoted about what's happening here today, not too many. There's a huge element of um, the artist community that's helping organize this, obviously the musicians. There's um, a lot of people in hip-hop who are going to be here, but I haven't seen, you know, an official sort of like, you know, the mayor is going to be, you know, front and center of the second line. I haven't seen that yet. Now, that's not to say that he won't be here, but he certainly Mm -hmm. is not right now. Um, And this is much more of a grassroots uh, event. Real basic question. I'm not sure, Amy, um, the work you've done from New Orleans has been absolutely amazing. The photography over the years, the the writing. I'm not sure uh, how familiar you were with the city before Hurricane Katrina, but I assume at the very least you've talked to a ton of folks. And I'm wondering if you could give for listeners who are really just coming at this the first time a sense of compare and contrast of what the city was before Katrina and what changes are either obvious or not obvious that you see today. So I've been I've been coming to the city for about 18 years and for the last 12 my brothers lived here. Mm. So um, it's kind of been you know I kind of before I even moved here I moved here about nine months ago before I even moved here I always kind of considered it my home base in a way. Um, sort of my second home. I'm not. We're not from here. My family's not from here. But he, he's he's he he went to college here. He stayed. He was here during Katrina. Uh, he had to leave, um, and he came back. And he's he's never left. So I do have, I guess, a sense. Um, I can sort of speak to that sense before and after. Um, and really, you know, it's 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 been interesting because I moved here nine months ago, and I'm sort of like. <laughs> in a lot of ways, kind of representative of, of, of that change. You know, the, the city is, is, you know, I think was around 67% black pre-Katrina. I think it's down to 55 now. Um, it's becoming a whiter city. I mean, it just specifically is. And the erasure of, of culture and tradition here is, is happening on a daily basis, and it's something that everyone talks about. Mm. And um, and it's not just it's not just white people moving into neighborhoods and you know buying dropping crazy money and outbidding people with cash offers and just you know forcing the people who normally would have lived in these neighborhoods out. I mean that's certainly a huge element of it. But there are also little other things that are slowly starting to change. And I, I know this sounds absurd, but perfect example is 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 the smoking ban. They, mm. you know, New Orleans, <laughs> New Orleans, you know, is, is the most, you know, sort of un-American city <laughs> in, in, in a lot of ways, arguably. I mean, you can, you can mm-hmm. say, you can argue, obviously, it's very American, too. But, um, you know, there, there's an, you can drink out in the streets. You can openly carry alcohol. You used to be able to smoke in bars, and there was a huge, huge debate here um, about changing just little things that, that affect sort of the overall daily life and the culture. And I know it seems absurd to a lot of people. But it was it's it's these little things that are slowly starting to mount up where it's becoming more homogenized. Right. The city is starting to become like other cities, and that's that to people, um, you know, is is a, a, a terrifying sort of daily struggle, um, and constantly, constantly talked about. At least the people who live here now don't, or even some of the people who <laughs> concerned, uh, you know, side of, of preserving that culture. Um, you know, that's a whole different story. Now, is the um, the influx of upwardly mobile uh, new white residents, is that cause or effect? 
is what is the, I mean the way do you is New Orleans being reorganized? You talked about it being homogenized. Like what 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 does that look like? I mean, is it looking like corporations buying land? Does it look like um, how does the charterization of schools play into that? Uh, what how is the city being reorganized and homogenized? How how conscious well, is that? Oh yeah, I mean it's a very conscious. I mean the charterization is a perfect example. Ninety one percent of schools here are, are now chartered, um, and I was at the school at a charter school yesterday that that was used to be the oldest public school in the state, and then after Katrina uh, was chartered, and uh, and George Bush was there yesterday. Right. Um, oddly enough, and I know you're going to get to that with me, but oh, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> but he he was he was there, and and, and part of his wife's foundation um, helped help the school reopen, but also pushed it toward charterization, and you know that that's that's one example, just one, obviously, of ways in which uh, the city's being homogenized. You know, perfect. Another example is there's this market uh, that opened up uh, in the seventh ward called the St. Rock Market, and people were really, really pissed because it's this very highfalutin, you know, sort of like whole foodsy uh, kind of, you know, specialized place where you buy cheese for, like, $15, you know? Like, you know, I mean, it's, it's one of those spots. And they hire anyone, really, from the neighborhood. You know, they just kind of came in. You know, the mayor was there for the ribbon cutting, saying this is a great example of, of New Orleans, like, upward mobility and the rebirth of the city and, you know, the rebuilding of the city. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, people in, in, in the neighborhood are like, what the hell? Why is the city providing, you know, whether it be tax breaks or, you know, open endorsements, of these developers who clearly are just chomping at the bit and looking at the city and saying, oh, I can completely uh, take advantage advantage of this and, uh, you know, to my advantage. And it's been happening with real estate developers and other people from out of town coming in and buying, you know, chunks of land and just and, and completely transforming neighborhoods. I mean, that that is something that that is, uh, you know, a huge function of, of how when every day you kind of operate through this city and you look at the places that are being built, and you look at the people who are occupying them, and they don't look like the people primarily who have mostly been here in the history of this city. George W. Bush, I listened to the speech. I was appalled. I I mean, more than I even thought I would be, because I expected him to go to that school. I thought the charter school would sort of speak for itself, because he's a pro-charter guy. And the speech would basically be about like, hey, this is what we did in two th- – I didn't expect him to like apologize, but I thought he would be like, you know, we care about the city. The Bush Katrina Fund is real, and I just wanted to acknowledge the pain and suffering and the fact that the city is coming back. Instead, it was to me the Bush version of that horrific Chicago Tribune column that was effectively saying, yeah, Katrina happened, and look at all the benefits that grew out of it. Charter schools. I I was, like, stunned at how central that was to his comments. My question to you as someone who was there, was that bracing to you, or did you expect that? And and then I have a follow-up, but let's start there. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, know, I mean, it's all coded, right? All this language is coded, and um, yesterday was a perfect example of that, and no, I don't think anyone thought that, you know, him coming here, you know, was going to be some sort of, like, uh, open-hearted apology and, like, that he was even remotely going to keep it real on any sort of level. Um, you know, I think no one would really expect that. 
Um, but, you know, I was talking to people at the school. I mean, you, you know, he knew that it was going to be in a bubble and it was going to be vetted as best as they could. You know, Secret Service was there and the school, it was a warm, you know, reception for Bush. But I, I was talking to a teacher standing right next to him right before Bush took the stage. And I said, how is this playing? You know, how has this been playing here or just for this school alone for last week? And he's like, he's like, you know, a lot of the kids are too young to really remember. But yeah. a lot of the teachers, he's like, it's an issue. And, you know, a lot of us lost our homes and lost everything. And that was a real thing that happened to us that we still struggle with. And, you know, he played a role in in the ways in which people couldn't recover and didn't have help. This is obviously, you know, well-known, but, uh, you know, it it was just the whole thing was so strange. I mean, at the very end of the speech, you know, it's like you could tell. I mean, he's, you know, just the look on his face, everything was just so awkward. At the very end, you know, he's kind of wrapping up and people are giving him polite applause. And then, like, they bring out this T-shirt to give to him. And, you know, everyone's just kind of sort of awkwardly standing on the stage and posing with this T-shirt. And there was just nothing natural or organic about about it whatsoever. And and it was it's. It was unfortunate that, that, you know, more people weren't aware. Uh, they, I think they tried to keep it kind of under wraps a little bit, as much as you can, um, because I think it deserved more attention. Um, you know, the fact that he came back here and the fact that, like, when most people are told that he was here or that he was coming here, they were pissed, you know, yeah. for good reason. Offended. Yeah. I was surprised in reading your article that there was uh, one – you said there was one one protester out there, out front. And I was thinking about that in the context of the fact that – it, n- nobody in the Republican field running for president, not even his brother, wants to be photographed with this guy. And it just I just wanted to is, – is what, what do you think that's about? Like why weren't there more protesters? And is George W. Bush just like that toxic a presence that it's almost like people put on their uh, – you know, their – their 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 lotion so they don't have to touch him and just just put him out there and then get him out of there. I mean, what what, what was that feel like? Well, yeah, I mean, I, to answer your question about the protesters, I mean, this city, it's it's uh, you know, having been in a lot of cities over the last year where a lot of actions have been happening within the civil rights movement and Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, this city is 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 much slower um, to sort of coalesce. And recently, over the last uh, few months, there, um, there, there have been there's a they're trying to get rid of the Confederate monuments. There are four in the city, and you've seen people really try and come out and 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 organize and have actions surrounding that. But generally speaking, it's 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 not the most active city when it comes to just overall protesters. And so, but still, having said that. <laughs> I honestly, Dave, I just don't think most people even knew he was here. Wow. I mean, seriously. I mean, it, it, every single person when I found out, you know, I mean, this is obviously very anecdotal and a very extremely small sample size, but no one had any clue that he was here. And um, it just, and again, I mean, one of the guys at this school yesterday even said to me, you know, we were trying to kind of keep this under the under radar. Wraps. As as we could. Yeah, because, you know, for, and then to that end, what you were just asking about, you know, his toxicity. I mean, in this city, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, I mean, you can't, you know, for all the reasons why we were talking about, you know, why it, it is so offensive to people that he, you know, he come back here and, you know, and he shows his face without any sort of contrition, which obviously we, you know, all kind of assume wouldn't happen. Um, it's, a, it's a sense of his hell. Why, why, you know, the, the mayor was there and he was doing his due diligence. I mean, you, you know, in the end, what everyone kind of said to me, uh, I think in ways that sort of, 
who had to participate in yesterday's event um, in, in ways to sort of kind of justify it or be at peace with it was, you know, you want to respect the office of the president. <laughs> I mean, that was yeah. like the kind of standard, the go-to line, like, listen, we do have to respect the office. And I think, honestly, that's the only reason why anyone showed up there yesterday. I mean, it's like, you know, the mayor introduced him and he was very nice and, you know, he got a standing ovation, but it was like the most tepid, polite standing ovation I think I've ever seen in my life. You know, I mean, it was just all sort of like, okay, well, I'll go through the motions here, but we all sort of know what the real deal is. You know, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. I know I'm still like, <laughs> need to shower with steel wool, like listening to it was, it was a dirty experience. Um, how can people? Your, your writing has been so great, Amy. How can people uh, keep up? I'm sure you're writing an article about today. How how, how can people find it? Yeah. So I'm. Um, I mean, I you, you're always so kind. You always ask me this whenever I come on with you, and, uh, and it's, uh, I'm shilling for Twitter. But Twitter is honestly like the best because I'm free. Sure. So you know, I don't have a I don't have a permanent home anywhere. But Twitter is usually the best place for I'm and uh, endlessly, shamelessly self promoting. You know, whatever I'm doing. Um, and that's, you know, that's, I'm going to be, I'm going to be tweeting today and, you know, putting missives out, uh, along, you know, along the way and trying to talk to as many people who are from here, you know, and that's their at voices. Amy K. Nelson, right? Yeah. Sorry. Yes. At Amy K. Nelson. And it's important to talk to the people, um, who are from here and who also lived through this because those voices have kind of sadly, you know, not been, um, heard as much this last week so i'm gonna be tweeting that and uh hey if everybody here in the studio wants some po boys can we all like crash with you and your brother no yeah you know it Anytime. yeah <laughs> Anytime, yeah all right amy k nelson thank you so much for making the time i know it's been crazy hectic uh I'm putting out on twitter people got to follow you for updates on what's happening thanks so much for joining us on edge of sports always man ah amy k nelson such a pro and also one of the best photographers i've seen Seriously, like like the photography that she does is off the chain. We got to go to break. We'll be back with Mark after this. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Edge of Sports Radio returns. Here's Dave Zirin. Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio wrapping up the show. Uh, me, Mark Barry, this is all you. All right. I... I'm fascinated by the Chicago Go. Bears. Why? Uh, I mean, not not only because you picked them in the Super Bowl last year? No, no, no. That's the past, man. I'm not here to talk about the past. Oh, I'm fascinated <laughs> because there's been, you know, think about why Colin Cowherd got fired. He got fired uh, because he said football coaches have to be smart. Baseball managers and players don't. And then he said, look at those Dominicans. And then he got canned. Um, cause he, 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 he got a good he, job at Fox Sports out of it. Uh, he already had that job. Yeah. I don't think he would have gotten it, frankly. Yeah. That, the, that that contract was already signed, although Fox is Fox. Yeah, Fox. Um, good. Good, good, good. But but like he had to let his uh, his horn show. He couldn't just, you know, speak. <laughs> but but his, his point that got lost, which I think is one that's interesting, is like is being a football coach not only more powerful but – more differentiable than that's Real not hard. a word than a, a baseball like is a great baseball manager worth 10 15 wins is a great football coach the difference between the playoffs like how imp- and, and being an also ran like how important is that mm-hmm. and i asked that question because you know i look at the bears loved them last year obviously they were terrible obviously there have been injuries this i'll let you get to that in the yeah. preseason but i think they have somehow I don't know how they were able to do this, but they've assembled the best coaching staff 
in the National Football League. Um, John Fox coaching, who is an, a good coach, proven good coach, not great coach, but to have Adam Gaze as your offensive coordinator and Vic Fangio as your defensive coordinator, I mean, that's kind of holy crap to me. And so, and, and so that's why the Bears are so fascinating to me because what if a lot of people are predicting 6-10, and 7-9. What if with coaches that good, they're 10-6? and six? I think that would be like a hell of a statement about the power of coaching. Yeah, it absolutely could And be. so I'm asking you your thoughts slash predictions on the Bears. All right. I, I think that that's really big. I, with with Fox, with Gase, with Fangio, they brought in all these really smart coaches to try and turn around what, what was a really disappointing season. The, the team, like you said, was supposed to be great last year, supposed to be a potential Super Bowl team. They were one pass away from the playoffs previously. Tressman was thought of as a smart guy. My thought is for a team with a whole bunch of smart people, they're not doing a bunch of smart things right now. So if you look at, one, you let Brandon Marshall go and you replace him with Alshon Jeffrey, who is an, an athletic talent but very injured, very injury prone. Replacing him as a number one with Alshon Jeffrey. He was the they, two of course, played to together. Yeah. They, you, bring in, uh, it's like you bring in Kevin White, the number, the number seven pick in the draft. Great athletic, athletic freak. So he, no he didn't really do too much. He was he was a one year wonder in terms of college. It, like size speed combination is so amazing. highly regarded. But what they did about this is they spent two or three weeks saying that he had shin splints. He was sitting out in camp. He was going to be fine, and then only did it come out later after that that he had stress fractures in both shins. Had to undergo surgery. It is out at least half the season, if not the entire season. About this, the point of possibly hiding and not really knowing what the injury is looks terrible for the team. Yes. Uh, you look at you bring in Vic Fangio, who's a fantastic defensive coach coach have to retrofit the team that was built to be a 4-3 defense into a 3-4 defense. You have Jared Allen for the first time ever being a stand-up outside linebacker. Mm-hmm. Don't know if that's necessarily going to work. They overpaid for Pernell McPhee, uh, an outside edge rusher from the Ravens who was a part-time player. They spent, I believe, $50 million on him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Whether it's going to work out or not, I'm not exactly sure. You also won. It was like we can talk about the elephant in the room. The, the bringing in Ray McDonald, that Fangio the vouched for him, brought him in. We all know how that worked out. I I forsake I was forsaken for the team for a while. I guess I'm kind of back on at this point. He's been arrested twice since being cut from the team and now indicted for sexual assault with Ahmad Brooks, formerly of the 49ers. Not a smart decision. And they then, cut Ahmad Brooks? No, no, no. He's Ahmad Brooks. Is, the team has not cut him yet. But he's still on the 49ers. He's still on the you 49ers. You said formerly of the 49ers. Formerly his teammate of the 49ers. Oh, I got you. So, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then... Jeremiah Ratliff, who was their uh, nose tackle, was just yesterday suspended for four games for the substance abuse policy. That's right. And they're so they're without a nose tackle for at least the first four. So games. you're thinking even like seven and nine looks I, optimistic. I, they're they're a five win team. And what and what wow. you, what you need to think about about this is ultimately their best offensive weapon is Matt Forte. He has 2,200 touches in his career. He's turning 30 years old. His 2,260 career touches is 12 less than Marshawn Lynch, who everybody is sure is going to break down in terms of this. Forte is a smaller back. If you think about the amount of time, the amount of hits that he's taking, whether it's this year or next year, he's going to break down. You think Marshawn's going to break down? No. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. But Forte is much smaller than Lynch, and if you're worried about it with Lynch, you have to be worried about it with Forte. Wow. That is so grim. So my whole (laughs) – so in other words – wow. I mean, it's so like somebody has to create the steam engine, and then the players are the steam. Mm-hmm. And so it really doesn't matter how good the engine that Fox, Gaze, and Fangio build in terms of schemes. Right. If there's no steam, or if they're really, really bad at acquiring steam, and that now the metaphor is tortured. Is how do you acquire <laughs> steam? But but like, it's just not going to work. 
I think this. So is maybe the, this isn't even the best case study for the theories that I've got percolating in my brain. Maybe not this year, but next year. I think this year is okay. this year is Cutler's last year. They tear it down, they build it back, and we see what happens. Wow, it's good in the future, but. Cutler shouldn't have that contract, and he won't have it for much longer. No. Well, you know what? Me, Mark, thank you so much. For, so so this year, oh, wow. a bit of a wash, maybe the equivalent of Fox's first year in Denver yeah. where they went through the Tebow follies. But I'll tell you this. I thought Tebow took it to the playoffs. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. Um, first couple years, I guess he had Tebow there. Yeah. No, 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 just the one year because the, the first year. year was McDaniels. Yeah. yeah, he took him to the playoffs. Yeah, it was so beautiful, Coach. It beat Pittsburgh. Demarius yeah, so Thomas' beautiful. Yeah. highlight, right? Yeah. yeah. It was so beautiful. Oh, my God. <laughs> but the point is it wasn't a serious football season. God was on his side. Oh, yes, he was. Fourth and God. <laughs> yeah. I keep waiting for that film. Third string quarterback of the Eagles. You guys are rough. Oh, man. We'll see if he makes that final roster. Yeah, we'll see. All right. So, yo, just so everybody out there knows, next year we do our often – Remarked upon sports and politics NFL preview show. That's next week. So we'll be getting ready. Each of us will have assignments to present. And for everybody here, yo, thanks for joining us here on a Saturday. Thank you, Amy K. Nelson. We are out of here. Peace. Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Tune in next week and go to edgeofsports.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, Information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C O R I E N T.com. Corient.com.